Hello and welcome to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge, brought to you by the world's leading underground construction equipment company, Ditch Witch, proud to support the sports you love. I'm Steve Brigman and I'm joined by the host of Bass Edge Television, Aaron Martin. Bass Edge TV can be seen three times weekly on the Outdoor Channel and also on the World Fishing Network and Wild TV in Canada. What do we got going on today, Aaron? We will be joining Randy Howell there at uh, Logan Martin Lake right outside of Birmingham, Alabama, and a little bit later uh, heading out to join Pete Ponds on one of my favorite topics, and that is on river fishing. Good deal. Let's get this thing going. Get it like that, boy. Good job. Yeah, I don't know of any other sport that offers the challenge of bass fishing better. Oh, did, did you see yes, that? Yes, I saw that. That was awesome. <laughs> Watch for the fish to pace the bait. What do you think of that, huh? That's full contact fishing right Man. there. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. While I've been slaving away back here at the office, you've been out uh, bebopping around, traveling, talking, fishing with folks again, I see. Yeah, slaving away. Now, that's not what Kathy told me. She said you were <laughs> tying a bunch of jigs or something. <laughs> well, I jigged. The jigs, was, that was just one of the two lists you gave me. Yeah. The list. Yeah. Ah, the list, right? <laughs> the list. No, that is the case. And I would like to throw a shout out to uh, the many, many people that we had the opportunity to hook up with there at uh, Pennsylvania at the Eastern Sports Show. What a fantastic show and uh, was able to meet so many people and uh, uh, mm-hmm. gave two seminars each day. Steve, I'm, I'm telling you, it looked like it was the audition for the American Idol, the way people lined up outside the building to get into well, this place. Well, you know, I was talking to Suda, our public relations director, uh, who went out there with you, and I was astonished how big this thing was. I mean, is this like this is like the biggest show in the country. It, you know, from what I was told, they are the biggest show four years running in the nation, and I can believe it. I mean, they were literally busting people in from all over. Anything, you know, that they had to do with hunting, fishing, uh, outdoors was there. Um, they had a, an entire room of game calls, so you can imagine how noisy it was in there. But, uh, no, it was, it was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, nothing like the game call department. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and I'm sure you were a big hit, as always. Oh, well, you know, I, I, tremendous feedback, and I can't tell you how many emails I've already gotten from up there, but uh, had the opportunity. You know, that's right there on the Susquehanna River. And talking about, uh, you know, big smallmouth, walleye, uh, had really enjoyed, really learned a lot, too, from other presenters that was there uh, from from the area locally uh, on what they had to say and how they fished the river. It, it was just an all-around great time and met some good people. You know, also had the opportunity, Steve, uh, had quite a few people that was uh, commenting on your book. So, see, you're, you're kind of reaching out and uh, having an impact on people up there. Well, I hope you were holding one up on stage when you were when you were talking. and <laughs> Yeah, absolutely I was, you know. And, of course, uh, we, yeah. we had it there at the booth and then was reading it, and uh, it was just fun to hear some of the people talk about uh, their experiences and how they related that back into your book and some of the things that they've been able to do. Well, this whole thing has been a fun experience and uh, a little bit humbling. You know, you get a little, it's a little weird. You get all excited about putting a book out, and then all of a sudden you get to the brink and you say, well, oh, no, people are going to read what I have to say. Am I going to sound like an idiot? No. <laughs> but... Uh, but throughout this whole process, this sort of, uh, I guess, unintended consequence that I didn't really foresee coming was this the tremendous amount of joy that I have received from just 
going back through these stories and reliving them and reading them and editing them, and of course, by the time you get a book out, you've read every one of these things ten times. And just the value, the personal value and the personal enjoyment I've got of doing this, and it sort of drives home that uh, that whole idea that I know you always talk about is just keep it a jerk. You hit the nail on the head, and, and I use that during uh, several of my seminars. I call it my orange Bible because the notebook happens to be have an orange cover, but uh, going in and, and keeping track of weather conditions, keeping track of what is unfolding throughout the course of your fishing day, uh, from times to baits to locations, and, and that's really what you know, that, that book kind of represents. But when you're able to go back, and I know when I look at my journal and catches and, and, and things like that that unfold, um, not only does that put you back into that moment of being, like you said, being able to relive that, but you're able to kind of take those experiences and use those moving forward. Yeah, you know, so that, it's like going through the book, you, you would see some sort of recurring themes that you never thought about until you gathered them all in a certain place. It was a great experience, and uh, I just, I'm just so tickled that a few people are buying it anyway. <laughs> well, I can tell you one thing. We certainly, uh, you know, we were a little underprepared for the Eastern Sports Show when we went up there. We only had limited space and being able to ship, you know, items up there. Mm-hmm. But from the book, uh, from your book, something somebody's got to do it, to Jay's book, to the DVDs, to, you know, we had uh, Bass Edge T-shirts up there. We completely sold out of those, like, in the first two days. And uh, you sure can't tell that the economy is uh, in a bad position. So we were very well received. And I just want to, again, want to uh, say hello to everybody that we had the opportunity to meet. Yeah, you know, I more than one person mentioned the fact that I came out with my first book during the worst possible economy. <laughs> That's, I've certainly been conscious of that. And uh, I don't think it's hurt the book so bad. And I've been trying to get a feel for how it's affected fishing. I mean, you know, the one thing that's going on with the economy out there is that gasoline is a good price, and that's really what we spend as anglers. Do you get any sense of that people are fishing any less because of the economy? Well, here's here's my, I guess, my take. You know, when I look at uh, things that's going on with the economy, like you speak of, gas is obviously a big factor because if we're having to drive and then also use the, the boats and motors uh, while we're on the lake, um, what I have noticed is that people are being a little more cautious on maybe the, the number of trips that they're planning, maybe reducing the frequency, or they're staying close to home. And, you know, one of right. the things that of, of throwing out there when you look at the economic situation, there are so many opportunities to get out and enjoy local waters, local streams. We've talked about it many times. That's what you and I grew up doing was just, you, you know, wading uh, the shoreline or, or getting a canoe or a float tube or fishing ponds. Um, so I think there's still a lot of ways to get out and be able to enjoy the outdoors without having to spend a lot of money in a down economy. Well, that's so true. And, and, you know, you, you hear this or that lake is, is, uh, hot and it's going on and it's a great lake. But, you know, if you just kind of pick your, your local little body of water, for me, it's a, for me, it's the James River here south of uh, Springfield, Missouri, and you fish it enough times, and you get to where you know it well enough, and you can catch just as many fish because of this the familiarity you you develop for for a particular home body of water. Absolutely, and you know the other thing is you you go to a place like uh, Eastern Pennsylvania there at the sports show, uh, talk to a lot of the vendors, talk to a lot of the boat dealers just for my own benefit to say, you know, hey, what's happening in this part of the country? Are people coming in to buy? And they were very pleased. Attendance was up 7% there. Uh, they said people, you know, were spending money. Um, but then you go to other parts of the country and you hear where they're actually canceling boat shows and canceling those type of things. So, you know, going back, I think confidence, I think once we, we see this moving forward, um, I think you're going to see it change. But 
Let's face it, Steve. I mean, it's much like anything else. The economy goes through cycles. We can't give up. We can't abandon uh, being connected to the outdoors because I personally think that's something that is very soothing for me and helps me deal with, you know, times like this to where uh, things around you seem like, you know, you're having a meltdown. But just by getting out and being able to enjoy and appreciate the outdoors, spend some time on the front deck of the boat with a friend or a family member or walk down the shoreline, that's what it's all about. That's good advice and, and very qualified advice. Uh, I don't know many folks know you were a financial advisor, a uh, very prominent financial advisor in your former life, and so uh, I'm going to take that to heart. I'm going to go, uh, I feel like spending some money. Yeah, exactly. Well, hey, when do just... I get my check for those books you saw? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, by the way, you mentioned those T-shirts. Yeah. Those, uh, that's the orange fishing on the edge T-shirts, right? Yeah, we uh, are there any left? Um, we, we didn't have any left up at uh, uh, Pennsylvania, but we do have a few left, and and just kind of as a special uh, here this spring, we're getting those out the door at five ninety five. So. Um, you know, I don't know who did the accounting on that one, but uh, I had nothing to do with that. So, speaking of being a financial yeah. advisor, I know that's a that's a pretty good deal. So, anyway, well, that's take a heck of a deal. And those are those are great T-shirts. You know, I had about five of them. Yeah, too. I know, I know. But I'm down to one because we, you know, as we would be out on the road, people go, "Well, man, that's a cool T-shirt. Can I get one?" And it's like, "Well, I don't really have any packaged up, but." You can have one of mine out of the suitcase, and so I'm down to one, so I want to give me some more. And I am also, I have not gotten my Electronics 101 DVD, and I, things are back on, aren't they? Well, and, and yeah, this is amazing. I mean, we've already gotten emails back from, you know, people that have, have watched them. When are you coming out with the next one? Or, or people saying that, right. you know, I stuck it in my portable DVD player or laptop, took it out of my boat like you suggested, programmed the thing, and it's great. And, uh, you know, we even had dealers up at uh, Eastern Pennsylvania. We didn't come back with too many of them, I can tell you that. So okay. if, if you don't have one of those in your arsenal, um, that's the way to go. Well, that's about time to do Electronics 102, and I know we've got some other very cool ones coming up this year. So. Absolutely. Well, I tell you what, Aaron, let's uh, let's slip away here for a minute, and I look forward to your interview with the Bama Boy, Randy Al. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 tow and pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, brought to you in part by Ditch Witches Zon, establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility. All right, we are back on The Edge, and joining us this week for the Angler Spotlight is BASS Elite Pro, Mr. Randy Howe. Randy, thanks so much for being part of The Edge. Hey, Aaron, thank you, man. It's great to be here today. You know, Randy, we had a great time on the water, not only uh, just enjoyable, but also we're able to uh, get into some of those Logan Martin spotted bass that they're so widely known for. Before we dive off really into kind of our day on the water, why don't you set the stage as far as what anglers can expect, you know, should they uh, visit or, or decide to launch a boat on Logan Martin? Okay, Aaron, that sounds good. Yeah, we did have a great time. That was a lot of fun. I wish we'd have had a couple more days. Yeah. I caught one of those big six or seven pounders I kept telling you about, but they don't like to cooperate with the camera there, you know. No. But, but uh but the fall fishing on Logan Martin Lake is one of the prime and specific type patterns that you can follow all over the country in any any geographic location you can follow the same type pattern 
and Logan Martin is a great pattern lake. That's why I like to fish that lake in the fall. But mostly following those bait fish like we did in the backs of pockets, uh, in the midsections of pockets, and we, we kind of put the puzzle together, as you know, with the water level fluctuating up and down. A lot of times the fall, like on that particular body of water, the lake is drawn down for the winter time. So we were experiencing that drawdown effect that week, and the fish were moving out to the mouths of the pockets more than they were back in the backs. And we just had to follow where the bait fish were and how they were relating, and that's where we found the bass. You know, and in every location, the bass were always right in there with those shad. And that is definitely what you got to do in the fall when you go to any major reservoirs, just follow those bait fish. Well, is Logan Martin, would you classify that as, is it more of a spot lake, meaning that you only key on certain areas of the lake? Or is it uh, kind of one of those fisheries to where it has abundance in, in all, all parts of the lake? Yeah, Aaron, on that lake, it, man, that is one of the best lakes in the country, in my opinion, for uh, the entire lake being good. You know, we fish a lot of lakes on our tour that you have, uh, you know, 90% of the fish living, 10, living in 10% of the lake, as the saying goes. But on Logan Martin, it's such a damn to damn that place is full of fish because it's full of bait fish. And most any reservoir that you find that has a lot of bait fish, such as these Coosa River Chain lakes in Alabama, they all have a lot of bait fish, so that makes the whole lake a, a factor in catching fish, which is great. Well, and it seems like, you know, not just Logan Martin, but, uh, you know, we were kind of stationed out of out of Birmingham within a, a stone's throw, really, of, of several, several top lakes. I mean, that I, I will give it up to you guys there. I mean, you guys definitely know how to raise bass and, and produce some tremendous fishing opportunities. But when you look at uh, Logan Martin specifically, what would you encourage, I guess, listeners uh, as far as where to, to start uh, when they approach that body of water? Mostly what I would say is uh, if you haven't been to a lake like that before or that particular lake, I like to usually start in the fall, most of the time on the lower end of the lake in the fall, because the lower end meaning the last maybe the last 10 miles before the dam on the on the deeper, clearer end of the lake. Uh, and the reason for that is the shad are usually more dominant in those parts of the lake as far as the way they move into pockets, and you can put a more more of a pattern together a little easier than say if we go up the river, like up the river at Logan Martin. Is a really good area too, but I like the river sections better in the summertime. The water's a little cooler, but in the fall, you don't have as many big creeks and big pockets up a river, so it's a little more standard fishing like that. When you're down on the lower end, you can follow those bait fish by going into the creek arms and into the big pockets and look for the visible shad flickering, you know, back in those coves. And that's pretty easy to follow a pattern when you're visibly seeing it with your eyes. And that's what I like about that fall pattern. So that's what I look for. Well, you know, the interesting thing is um, prior to, to our day in the water, I mean, we literally both got into town about the same time and, and had uh, a little bit of discussion, not a tremendous amount, kind of glanced at a map and uh, had some discussion as far as what we anticipated would happen uh, throughout the course of our day. And bottom line, we had numerous baits and uh, a lot of different offerings to be able to provide them because really when you show up, uh, you know, during the fall, you, you don't necessarily always know what you're going to be doing. That's exactly right, and that's why fall is a very versatile time of the year, and it's a time of year that you can't go uh, with a closed mind to a lake and say, I'm going to go fish boat docks all day, or I'm going to go to fish points all day. You've got to be open-minded, and you've got to have you know eight or ten rods on the deck rigged up with a whole spectrum of lures to show to the fish to figure out what they're looking for that day. You know, I had had higher hopes coming into that day of getting into some bigger fish a little easier and I think we got there you know with scheduling trying to you get there and me get there at the same time we ended up putting it a little bit later than we really wanted to 
and you know the cold weather had started in the mornings and then also the water level had started falling and i think that's we still had great success and caught a lot of fish but you know it's all about matching up the right lures and the right locations with the with the conditions that you're presented that week well and one of the i think critical things that we realized and employed was was really following that shade of a morning and looking you know, as the sun gets higher, of really trying to maximize that topwater bite. Could you elaborate a little bit on that and, and what we meant by when we were following and kind of chasing those shade pockets? Sure, that's a great pattern that, that, that works all over the country. I've done that for years, and that particular lake, Logan Martin, has a lot of tall pine tree shorelines with a lot of shaded shorelines like that. So in the mornings, if you get out there like we had some fog problems a few mornings and we had to just keep going a little later and we had to follow that shade line. And when that sun comes up quickly out of that fog, you know, you're faced with the sunshine and no no early morning bite. So you got to look for those places by running down the shoreline where the sun is rising on and then that bank is going to be shaded from the sun rising up on it and you're just going to follow those dark lines and what you know a shade line is real visible you know to the eyes you're running along by seeing that dark uh, early morning look to the shoreline and to the water line there and you just get up there and those fish will still be roaming those shorelines uh, in that shade thinking that it's still an early morning bite so I've, I've been able to employ that on that lake and many others uh, lots of times you know right on up till nine or ten in the morning and get a couple key big fish bites uh, with buzz baits and different top water baits, you know, that, that you usually wouldn't do if you didn't know to look for that. Well, and one of the, the moments that stands out in my mind was, um, you know, in addition to the tall pine trees and some of the docks and, and that that actually uh, kick off a shadow, is also the retaining walls. And, uh, you know, we were kind of really uptight against one of those walls where it made a bend and went back into a little pocket. And, you know, you picked up that buzz bait and made a parallel cast down that retaining wall right up against the bank uh, because it was in shade. And, you know, that produced uh, some quality fish right there. Yeah, that's right. And that is something I was really expecting to be good for us on that trip was, was more big fish on those walls. And I tell you, when you look for that type of pattern, and you see that shade line and you start figuring it out, it's so easy to continue to, to run that from, you know, pocket to pocket and just keep looking for that. And you can fish a lot of water. You know, you can cover a couple miles of water in the morning by 10 o'clock just by running and gunning those little shady seawalls and shady shoreline banks. So I, I think it's definitely a big key on this show for and people, uh, viewers that listen to this, remember to look for that and Im- implement that in their own lakes as well. Well, and one other thing before we get away from the top water is the day progressed and started getting later. You know, the sun started obviously going down, and then we picked up those those top waters again. And I don't know if you remember it or not, but there was a little island to where, you know, the stripers were working on the other side. You had a herring out there that was kind of feeding, uh, standing off the edge of the weeds. And uh, we'd worked this little island, this little gravel bar that had some vegetation. And, you know, we kept hearing some different blow-ups in that over in the shallow area. You made a long cast over there and uh, man, it just engulfed your buzz bait. Yeah, that buzz bait bite was awesome, man. I still, I, I mean, I dreamed about that for a couple <laughs> of nights. That was one of the best bites we've ever had. And I, it was it was so shallow. That's what was so awesome about it. And that just proves that you can't fish too shallow in the fall. The fall, fish will swim as shallow as they can get there. As long as the water is covering their back in the fall, they'll go after a shad and they'll bite your bait, you know, and that bite, I think the camera, hopefully the the shot will even show on the show that you can see the water rise up behind it and the fish as it was coming behind it in that shallow water, he actually caused a wake before he got to the 
to the buzz bait, and that's just an awesome bite. I love that kind of fishing. Yeah, it was a great way to not only start the show, but also to to end it there at the end of the day. Now, you know, to kind of transition over into the the majority of, of what we spent our time doing, one of the things that I noticed is that the fish were extremely bunched up. Is this, uh, you know, a characteristic that you see that coincides with fall fishing throughout the country? Yes, it is for sure. Uh, schooled up fish seem to be more findable, so to speak, and, and, and easier to locate and catch in the fall than any other time. I think because the one is a lot of times the water levels are uh, dropping on most lakes for the winter drawdowns on a lot of the reservoirs. That groups fish up as well, but also the shad being grouped up so tight in these pockets, it just makes it a, you know, just a buffet for the bass to come into off the channel, you know, and, and the more bass come in and see the shad the more they follow suit and just continue following each other right into these places and just school up and man you can catch uh, just 10 15 20 fish i mean I, I went back up there after our show you know a little later on a couple weeks later and uh, got a couple points right in the same area as me and you caught some fish on and sat on one point with my wife and two little boys and caught 31 bass off this one point wow. all two to four pounders and it was just awesome i mean in two foot of water right where me and you caught a couple fish on the show and and that is so indicative of what the fall presents is those schooled up tight fish and you a lot of times if you come in and catch one or two fish and you keep moving on away too quick you never realize how many fish may really be there and if you just kind of ease back through there and make a second pass back through there like we did several times you'll pick up a couple more and you just kind of the fish will use that area if you catch two or three fish in there the fish are there and you can just keep coming back and give them a little break and you'll continue to catch them all day there well and we've more or less tested you know kind of that hypothesis meaning that once we got out of off the the outer limits of kind of where those concentrations of bass were it was like somebody flipped the light switch that's right exactly and that's what you got to do in the fall you don't really have to find a lot of places the fish are you just got to find a few key places and once you find those areas just like we did there in the short amount of time that we had we found those two or three key places and we just kept working them back and forth and run to another one fish it an hour give an hour break to one pocket run back in there and then there's certain periods of the day uh, whether it's moon related or what as far as the moon phase and the feeding activity periods go I don't know how much that plays into account here but it really does have one time of the day usually and most of the time it's 12 1 o'clock during the middle of the day when the fish will really feed in these areas and you'll catch you know a lot of fish and and most of the time, contrary to some beliefs, it's better midday and later day than it is early in the mornings in these places where the shad are. And I just think that's because of the sunlight and the activity of the bait fish. Well, and one of the things that I can't say enough about is just the aggressive nature of spotted bass. And, you know, certainly Logan Martin uh, is a world-class fishery for that. And, you know, I, I, I can honestly say we had our opportunities at, uh, at some big fish. I know for a fact I lost one pretty decent one. But the interesting thing was, if you remember when that happened, there was basically a little walkway dock kind of stuck out. Uh, you had caught one over there. I had thrown right back over there and after it. And a lot of times those bass will actually follow. They'll, they'll pull out you know, multiple fish, even after you catch one, there'll be some followers that you really have to pay attention to and, and be able to capitalize on that. Exactly right. That's a good point, too, to make because that's where a lot of people mess up sometimes because they catch one fish, they reel it in, they get excited about this fish, they sit there in the boat and, you know, look at it and take pictures of it and play with it and all that. Man, as soon as I get that bass in the boat in the fall, I want to get another cast right back out there because most of the time, the more aggressive, smaller fish is going to be the first one to bite, and that bigger fish is going to be following 
is going to be the one that you can pick off or your buddy that you really don't want to catch one bigger than you in the back of the boat is going to catch one right behind you that's going to be bigger. <laughs> and uh, that is so critical to be looking for. And in that particular trip that we fished there, the water was a little more stained, so you couldn't see the fish followed up. But I've been there many times that you'll reel one fish up to the boat and in that clear water behind it, you'll see three or four big spots chasing that one little one. Uh, waiting, you know, sharking, waiting for something to get out there and catch them. So always be quick to get your bait back out there when you catch one in the fall. And, you know, speaking of concentrating on, on those those fish that are schooled up, but also the followers, how big of a role did that squirrelbill crankbait come into play for the technique that we were trying to target the structure? You know, because there's a lot of times when you think of a crankbait, you know, I guess kind of the, the misnomer out there is that you can't fish it around cover. That's not the case with uh, the crankbait that we were using. Yeah, the square bill crankbaits are definitely the key, and they're my number one go-to bait in the fall anywhere I go. That's the first bait I'm going to throw and cover water with to find fish because in the shad-infested areas, when the pockets are full of shad, they're typically going to be roaming, suspending around the shad, but they're also going to be ambush points in those pockets where there'll be one stump or one tree or something that you may not see under the water, a brush pile by a dock or we call fish at in that show as well. And that square lip bait uh, has the tight vibration to it to, to draw that bite in the fall when they're real uh, reaction-oriented bites. That that will draw that bite, but it also uh, will deflect off of cover and not hang up and not cause you to miss an opportunity of catching a fish because those big fish sometimes are going to find them a key little piece of cover down there to sit on if that crankbait bounces off that thing, off that stump, that bass is going to eat the crankbait. And that's why I use that bait probably you know, 60, 70% of my search time finding fish is with that crankbait. Then I'll go to something else like the swim bait or the scrounger or spinner bait uh, to kind of work two and three times over in an area. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and you know, before we get out of here, Randy, one of the things that I, I do want you to give some insight on is how do you pick your colors um, based upon, you know, the, the water conditions that you have for the day? Uh, most of the time I pick my colors in the fall a uh, little more simplistic than I do in the spring or summer months uh, because the fall if I know the fish are keyed on those shad in those pockets I'm going to go with my pearl with a little chartreuse mixed in for the color of the water I'm going to go with a shad natural you know Tennessee shad something chrome blue flashy something that imitates that shad uh, as close as possible because when they're keying in on that that's definitely what you've got to have and we saw that in our time on the water you know we tried a couple other colors and saw that that pearl which imitated that shad in the stained water the best i think and that's what we caught our fish on so that's the key to always remember just let your uh, bait match up with the bait that you're you know the, the bait fish that you're fishing around yeah i would definitely agree with that because we did spend our time uh, you know it's kind of common practice that once you figure out something you know fishermen and anglers uh, we're kind of a greedy bunch and first thing we want to do is to find out okay is there something better uh, that we can be using but bottom line i think uh, i think you hit the nail on the head with that color choice that day and then matched up uh, just the the fact that it's a square bill crankbait able to bring it through that color something that really paid off well randy unfortunately we are out of time uh, any thoughts uh, before we get out of here uh just you know we had a great time there and I, any viewers that uh, or listeners you want to get more information go to i encourage you go to bassedge.com and go to ask the pro section and you can do further questions there any any questions about our podcast or about the tv show as well well, once again, Randy, thanks so much uh, for just a, a really good day on the water and wish you the best of luck in the upcoming season. Man, thank you, Aaron. Look forward to it. You have a good year, too, buddy. Power. 
productivity, speed. It's the best trencher ever made, not to mention the best plow, dumper, tiller, backhoe, stump grinder, and tool carrier ever made. The Zahn, the revolution is here. Hi, I'm Moses Mokawahi, and this is Bass Edges The Edge. Man, Aaron, Randy was so much fun when we shot that show out in Alabama. I just remember and still crack up thinking about when he caught that whole wad of rods and reels. <laughs> just, I don't know. It's like a big wind came and blew off the rod and reels off the dock or something. But, uh, yeah. He was a who. And I remember when that happened. We were trying to figure out how in the world do you get you know three rods or four or however many it was all joined together. But uh, I'm thinking that probably somebody was idling past the dock, you know, and they, you know, how uh, dock owners will put out rods and reels and and uh, fish with a, a live worm or something uh-huh. on the bottom. Probably hooked it with, you know, their big motor and yanked them all off. I could just see that happening. But yeah, I mean, there was so many little jewels throughout that day from fishing with Randy, and and not not only is he fun. But, uh, you know, he knows his stuff. Man, and we caught some fish. Well, I think we hit the fall perfect on Logan Martin. We did. And, you know, I remember that of taking off that morning, the fog had set in over the marina there. And, I mean, it was, I thought, Table Rock fog was thick. That's one of the the places that I think definitely will uh, run a quick second to Table Rock because you couldn't see, you know, 10 feet in front of your boat. And we moved, if you remember, we started out right there going after the topwater fish uh, Mm -hmm. with the buzz bait. And then, all of a sudden, as fog does that time of year, you know, the sun starts burning it off, the wind picks up a little bit, and it literally goes from, you know, set in fog to bright bluebird skies. And I thought his decision to move and then start running those shade pockets where, you know, on maybe on the eastern banks uh, to where the sun hadn't come up over and you still had some shade maybe from the retaining walls or the docks and stuff like that. That was a great way to kind of maximize that topwater bite. Well, it sure was. And that whole show, it was, you know, we talk, we've talked about this so many times about the, the shad migration in the fall and how they head back into the creeks. And, and, and that means a little something different on, you know, here at, at, at Table Rock, these massive balls of shad move back into these very deep creeks. But on this shallower lake, those shad and those bass were basically at the back ends of those creeks. Right, right where they should have been. And if you remember, you know, the show that aired a couple of weeks ago with Boyd Duckett, we were down on Lake Martin mm-hmm. in South Alabama, a little bit further south of Logan Martin. And we had anticipated that that was what was going to be going on down there. Mm-hmm. Whereas on Logan Martin with Randy Howe, that is exactly what was going on. You know, all you had to do was find those concentrations. The fish were grouped up. And again, you know, finding that bait, that active bait, right. where those bass were staging at because of the cooling down, the water was starting to cool down, they're moving into the backs of the creeks like you speak of. But then also that crankbait. You remember that uh, that right. little bandit, you know, white with chartreuse on the end of it? I did my darndest to try and disprove that crankbait with other baits. And, uh, you know, just that color of water, that pearl white and how it reflects in that little bit of stained water with that chartreuse, the fish were definitely keying in on that. Well, yeah, I can remember that day he talked about color. And let's face it, there's sometimes the color makes more difference than others. But, man, that day it made all the difference in the world. And I know we spoke about this in the interview with, with Randy, but, again, I think it's worth another mention. I still remember we were going down the bank, and, you know, spotted bass are very, very aggressive. A lot of times they'll just kill something or go after or attack something just because of their territorial instinct, you know, and their, their opportunistic nature uh, like we speak of. But, uh, you know, he caught a pretty decent fish, and a lot of times those spotted bass will follow. We see this 
often when we're deep fishing on, on drop shotting and things like that. But you would bring in these little wolf packs that was trying to get the bait out from a fish that was actually caught. And so when you have two guys like that, throw that lure right in the, behind that. And we had two occasions where that actually worked. Of course, the first time was the really big fish that uh, wasn't able to get actually into the boat. It came off you know, about 10, 12 feet away from the boat. But don't rule that out. You know, be prepared. It's kind of like throwing in a chase bait after something explodes on the top. Go in there and catch those other ones. And then we added that big fish on the buzz bait. Man, yeah. it's nice when a plan comes together. Boy, <laughs> it, it is. Especially when you got the cameras rolling. <laughs> yeah. Makes you feel a little bit more confident. But That's uh, right. Hey, we got a question this week, Aaron, from John in Minden, Louisiana. All right. He says, hey, guys. Thank you for the great shows, the helpful information, and renewing a spirit in me I had lost due to being a workaholic. I turned 56 years old today and retired. I started my own consulting business and working part-time now. I'm ready to get out on the water and fish, fish, and fish. It's a passion of love for the sport I've developed because of you guys and some others. My question, I'm blown away from real gear ratio match to different rods to this type of lure or jig or worm all matched again to rods and reels, even to boat preference. I'm a detail person, and these things matter to me. I believe in quality tackle, and I don't mind paying for it, but I am in need of some advice if you guys don't mind. I sure would appreciate it. And he says, thank you, Bass Edge. First of all, I'd like to say happy birthday, John. Yeah, happy birthday, John. And happy retirement, man. I hope I retire when I'm 50. Well, never mind. You know what? I'll, I'll, I'll bet. work a few more months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll bet John's at the Classic. What do you bet? I bet he is. Yeah. Minden right there. Exactly. Uh, maybe he'll give us a report. But, I hope uh, so. Yeah, a lot of questions for you. I'm going to let he, you he feel does. that. And, and I'm going to break this down. Let's cover the rod and reel first, and then we'll get an email out to you concerning on the rest of your question. Pretty long question, and uh, it's all good stuff that we want to make sure we devote some time to. But as far as the reel gear ratio, there's two schools of thought on this. One is you actually purchase reels that have varying gear ratios according to the technique that you're using. Now, I am of the belief, I like for all of my reels to be identical to where I can actually control the speed of the bait, the speed of the retrieve. Because what happens is, uh, you know, if you're using a five to three, one gear ratio for your crankbaits, and uh, let's say you pick up a, a six, three to one, uh, or some sort of a fast gear ratio, and you don't realize that, that can put you into trouble where you're gonna be reeling that too quickly. The other thing is, and I think this is important when we consider the times that we're in, you know, if you go out um, and you're having to purchase multiple reels, um, that can be a little cramping on your budget. So my personal preference, I use the same gear ratio for every single technique that I use. Mine well, is what, going, what is that ratio? It's a 6-3 to 1, and six, it's three, just, okay. uh, I, I just use an Ardent XS1000. There again, if I'm fishing a jig or if I'm fishing a buzz bait, if I'm fishing a crankbait, I control that at the point of, you know, when I'm actually retrieving the bait and make that conscious decision. Now, as far as the rod is concerned, you know, there's so many different technique specifics. I think a general rule of thumb, most agree that if you take like a 610 to a 7-foot rod based upon your height, obviously the taller you are, you can handle a little bit longer rod a lot easier. But something that's in that medium-heavy uh, range with a fast tip, will allow you to universally cover from topwater to crankbaits to jigs. When you start getting into, you know, fishing grass or doing a lot of flipping or bottom bouncing baits, you know, then obviously I want to beef that up uh, if I'm able, if budget allows to be able to purchase multiple rods. I'm going to go with something that's a lot more heavy. Uh, I'm going to go with that seven foot. It has a lot of backbone, heavy action, you know, quick tip to be able to get the, those fish out of that cover or out of that grass. If I'm throwing a jerk bait, 
You know, I want something that's in a medium action to be able to handle so that once, because when you're throwing trebles, remember the difference is when you've got a single hook and you've driven it through the side of their mouth, those fish stay hooked pretty well. But when you have a lot of trebles in there, a lot of times those little trebles can pull out. So you want to make sure that that rod has enough give as you're fighting that fish so that you're not ripping the hook from their mouth. The other thing that comes into play is your line. You know, making sure that you're matching the type of line with what you're using. I had a conversation just uh, here over the weekend up at Pennsylvania concerning somebody that said that they were having a ton of problems losing fish. They could catch them, but once they got them on, they would come off. Further discussions showed that they were actually using braided line with a crankbait, and therefore it was jerking those hooks out. So right. Just ripping them out. Yeah. Just ripping them out, yeah. And yeah. so, again, I, I'm, I keep it simple. On the reels, I use the same gear ratio across the board. And then if you want to get into where you feel that uh, it warrants, your budget warrants, but also just your, you don't want to have to make that conscious uh, decision of controlling that speed, uh, then maybe drop down to a 5-3 to 1 for your right. crankbaits. No, I, that's great advice. Just, you know, keep it kind of simple and let it grow from there. I mean, let's face it, up here you and I use a lot of spinning gear with six-pound test, catching fish, you know, 60 feet deep. But right. Uh, down in Louisiana, you know, John's going to be probably doing a lot of flipping and structure fishing and shallow water fishing. And so you do have to kind of uh, uh, keep in mind that you kind of match your tackle to the way you're fishing and where you're fishing. But I tell you what, man, we wish John all the best in his retirement and hope to hear back from you, John. Let us know how that's going and uh, keep us posted on the fishing down there in Louisiana and we'll look forward to hearing from you again. Absolutely, and thanks to him for being part of Bass Edge. I tell you what, let's take a break here and come back and talk about one of my favorite subjects is the old river rat, uh, Pete Pond's going to talk about fishing rivers. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. Hi, I'm Jamie Cyphers, and you're listening to Bass Edges, The Edge. All right, we are back on this week's edition of the Inside Edge, and back for two weeks in a row is BASS elite angler Pete Ponds. Pete, uh, welcome back, man. Hey, man, thanks for letting me be here, Aaron. It's my pleasure. Well, we had the opportunity to talk about uh, something that's very near and dear to my heart because it's what I grew up doing as a youngster and when I was introduced into the sport of fishing, and that is fishing rivers. And I know this past week there on the show, uh, I thought you brought out some fantastic points and, and topics discussed. Um, you know, let, let's just kind of bring the listeners up to speed on uh, where they can put themselves in a high percentage area when targeting rivers. You know, probably one of the, and, and rivers are my favorite, too. Probably one of the best places to look on a river. If I were running up a river, then I would I would look where it has a bend, a sharp bend in it, a sharp turn, an S-turn, and then also look on the sides of the river for riprap, lay down logs, sandbars. And I know this is a lot to be throwing at you, but, boy, there's just so much to talk about on rivers. You know, you have oxbow lakes. But if I were going to start, I would start where the banks start overflowing. Right there is where I'd start going up into the river where the water meets the banks on both sides. You know, and, you know, you take a, a, a lake that's flooded and then go into the river part of it. It's the section right there where it goes into its banks of the river is the best area to start fishing on that. Well, 
I think you, you just brought up a good point right there because even a lake or a reservoir that has been flooded, obviously, uh, you know, the majority of them, I don't know of one that uh, doesn't exist, but the majority of them have river channels of which was there prior to, uh, you know, that being flooded. So even if the, the water is up high, like you mentioned, due to a flood, uh, in that reservoir, you can still drop off into the river channel, or we can even be talking about very small streams that you can get out and wade, you know, or, or go up in a canoe. And I can't tell you how much time I've spent in backwater. I know you have yourself wading creeks and walking, you know, on the banks and stuff of rivers. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, it, it's a good place to fish for anybody. I mean, you don't necessarily have to have a huge lake to fish, you know, in a river. And, and one of the things that you want to look for when you're doing that is that you know, it's current. You know, we talk about all these rules uh, as far as water temperature and laydowns and things like that, but current breaks break all the rules. You know, the actual current break itself, I'm talking about where the water brushes around a log or brushes around a rock. Those fish like to hide and ambush things as they come by that rock and, and lay down, and so they get right in the eddy of that current, and, and uh, that's such an easy place to target fish. It makes them so easy to catch. And, boy, it's, it's a lot of fun, you know. And, and I, I can't tell you how many times that I've waded the stream and walked up there and pitched a little spinnerbait or jig over there in the eddy and just caught, caught fish. They're, they're not always great big fish, but, boy, it sure is a lot of fun. Well, and I, and I totally agree. And, and you know, mentioning and, and speaking of current breaks, and earlier we had talked about more or less those channel swings. Well, a lot of times, right, let's say in that S-turn that you spoke of earlier, Pete, you know, when that channel comes across the river and then bounces off the other bank, you know, that little section of backwater right off of that channel swing as well, another great spot to be able to sit there and, you know, target bass because of their ambush. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you don't ever forget, you know, where that water blows up against the bank. It makes an undercut in the bank right there. And so many times those fish are laying right in that undercut. And uh, like I said, pay attention strongly to the current there because current, it breaks all the rules of fishing. And uh, if you learn how to fish current, you can catch them in any river. And that's the secret to fishing rivers is learning the current. You know, the interesting aspect to fishing rivers is it seems like they're always a, a changing dynamic, you know, whether you have a, a large amount of precipitation, you know, flood comes through, uh, logs Absolutely. are washed in and out. You know, how do you tackle that each time? Is it almost like a new day every time you approach a river? You know, it is. And, and these maps, I don't care who they are, they cannot keep up with the changing waters of river. And, and that, that's what makes this so fun is because, you know, you might be used to fishing a body of water and fish it every day for five years, and then you're gone for a year, come back to it, and it's a totally different body of water. It's a river system because it's constantly changing and growing and moving. And, uh, boy, it's such a challenge. But like I said, it's, it's a lot of fun to figure out. It's a great puzzle, and uh, current is the key. I mean, you can, just, you can predict it so easy, you know, when they have the right current. What about as far as bait choices? Do you um, employ any different tactics, you know, concerning the lures that you're approaching a river with than what you do in a large reservoir? You know, I, I do a little bit. Of course, I try to use an aggressive bait like a crankbait or a fast-moving bait. That way I can find fish fast. But there are times when I'm fishing the eddy that we talked about that I use a slow presentation-style bait. But a lot, a lot of times when those fish are aggressive, they, they either get behind it or the real aggressive ones will get right in front of where the current is busting up against, say, a rock, and they'll sit right there where that water splits on the front side. And when they're doing that, you can catch them really easy on a crankbait, like a Bandit 200 crankbait or a, you know, any type fast-moving bait right there. It's, they're very, very easy to catch, and it's just a ton of fun, buddy. 
Well, and I, and I know I, I think I've had some of my most explosive uh, topwater action on a river. You know, you can get either on the upward side or the or the downside of those those riffles, and the smallmouth will just stack up in there like you speak of, especially in yeah. the summertime. That's so much fun. I mean, who, who doesn't like topwater? It's probably the most exciting bait to fish in my mind that there is. Yeah. And, and in short here, before we get out of here, what about as far as colors? Are you changing up your colors any different than, than what you do on other bodies of water? You know, I really use basically the same theory. On You know, of course, the first thing you'd want to do is find out what the forage fish were, whether it be crayfish or whether they had threadfin shad in there or gizzard shad, or, you know, what their main source of food is, and then I would apply those colors as close as I could get. But, you know, if it's a muddy river or muddy stream, then, you know, of course, more brilliant colors. And if it's a uh, more clear stream, then you'd use more natural colors. And that's basically the same as I would do on any body of water. So, you know, it's not that much different. You know, certain times that I like to use brighter colors that I have confidence in because it makes me present the lure better. And, and uh, it's, it's just fun to say, okay, I can catch them on this chartreuse pink, you know, whatever. All flying and, and catch them on it. So it's a lot of fun to do that. And, and, but the river's a good place because those fish are usually aggressive when they're when they're you know involved around that having to stay in current, not a current. They're stronger fish. Well, once again, Pete, uh, wish we had more time, but uh, great stuff. Appreciate your time and uh, best of luck in the upcoming season. And look forward to having you again soon. Hey man, I'm ready to go fishing. I, thank you so much. I'm I'm on the way out the door right now. I'm fixing to go catch me one and. Uh, Hey, tell your listeners to come and ask us questions at BassEdge.com. I'll tell you, you know, we enjoy getting the questions so much, and we'd love to have you ask us some. So thanks for inviting me, Aaron. Now you can order Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing is host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Edwin Evers, Boyd Duckett, Alton Jones, and Pam Martin-Wells. The two sets include all 25 episodes with never-before-seen footage, over three hours of bonus pro angler interviews, bloopers, and highlights. Each two-disc set is just $19.95. Call 1-888-390-8780 or order online at BassEdge.com. Well, Steve, once again, that uh, brings us to full circle for this episode. Uh, who do we have coming up next week? Well, we've got our old buddy Dave Woolack. Uh, we hooked up with him out in Columbia, South Carolina, and uh, it was a good time as usual. So uh, we're going to enjoy that. And Bob Lust, the pond boss, will be back with some more of his great information. Well, both of those uh, there again. I can remember both the show and the conversations. Uh, anytime Bob Lusk opens his mouth, like we've mentioned before, Everybody listens. But uh, join us for this show on the Outdoor Channel, where Bass Edge is seen three times weekly at 8 a.m. Thursdays, 9 a.m. Fridays, and Saturday afternoons at 2.30 all Eastern time. For the latest Bass Edge information, merchandise, and for an opportunity to win prizes and ask the pro questions, log on to BassEdge.com. For Steve Brigman, I am Aaron Martin, and we look forward to seeing you again next week right here on The Edge. This week's edition of Bass Edges, The Edge, has been brought to you by B&W Trailer Hitches, Ditch Witch, MegaWare Keel Guard, O'Reilly Auto Parts, and Legend Boats. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.